our podcast series from the Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory at MIT. I'm Lori Glover, and I'm here today with Professor Damon Devito. Hello. <laughs> Hello. He is a professor in electrical engineering computer science and a researcher here at TCEL at MIT. Welcome, Srini. Thank you. Okay. So your research interests are mainly in areas of computer architecture and computer security. Can you talk about your current projects in those areas? Absolutely. Um, so I work in computer architecture and computer security and their intersection. Um, and so I want to tell you about uh, three different things. Um, let me start with, uh, with a project in computer architecture that I'm very excited about. Um, if you think about uh, parallel computer architecture, one of the biggest challenges is uh, programming parallel software. And what happens is um, there's a conflict between uh, ease of programming and performance. So what uh, programmers like to do is uh, they want to be able to write uh, sequential programs, uh, break them up into uh, smaller parts, uh, threads or uh, processes, uh, they're different terms for uh, uh, um, for the tasks, and uh, they want to run them uh, in parallel uh, across uh, many different uh, processors or cores, as they're called. Um, the communication between these threads um, is really the biggest issue in uh, parallel software that uh, runs in a completely parallel fashion and has high performance. Um, and the way this communication occurs, you know, can be through message passing, which is explicit messages are passed from one uh, program running on one core to another, or using what's called a, a more convenient uh, shared memory abstraction, where you can think of it as a Google Docs, uh, which uh, people all over the world are editing, and they see uh, each other's changes instantaneously. I mean, obviously it doesn't happen instantaneously with Google Docs, but in the context of parallel architecture where processors are running at a gigahertz, you want it to occur instantaneously. Uh, so one of my projects is on building a very efficient uh, shared memory abstraction that's also very scalable, that can scale to hundreds if not um, thousands of cores. And uh, in particular, um, I, uh, I'm looking to build uh, with my students um, a thousand core uh, shared memory machine across multiple what are called field programmable Gatorade chips that are uh, commodity chips that you can buy and configure to uh, contain particular uh, uh, processor architectures. And so we'd like to build this, uh, this uh, T1000, as we call it, um, uh, over the next year or so um, that uh, is a, a machine that is built across uh, perhaps uh, 32 or even 64 um, FPGA chips in each of which contains uh, 16 processors. And uh, together, you know, you have a thousand core system that uh, provides the shared memory abstraction. And hopefully it'll be um, uh, the first of its kind, assuming we, we build it. Yes. Um, and uh, it, it'll show the world that we can actually run parallel software uh, that's easy to write at scale. Um, so that's, I guess, project number one, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that's, a, that's a computer uh, architecture project. Um, in computer security, um, I'm very interested in um, anonymizing networks. Um, so uh, the notion of anonymity uh, is, of course, uh, a controversial one, uh, 
Um, but uh, as a technologist, I am uh, concerned with uh, producing technology that can be used for the, for the right purpose. And of course, we can't control all the purposes to which uh, particular technologies are used. But we do believe that there's a place uh, to, uh, uh, to apply anonymity technology uh, for example, uh, 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 dissidents in countries uh, that were being oppressed and who would like to communicate with each other and uh, would like to be protected uh, from uh, a totalitarian government. Uh, and there are many other examples as well. So um, anonymous co communication uh, is, is at some level you know, really much harder than just private communication uh, simply because the very fact that you're communicating uh, gives it away that uh, you're perhaps doing something that uh, uh, isn't uh, well looked upon mm -hmm. and that could cause problems. And so it's a challenging problem. Uh, and uh, the efforts uh, that have uh, occurred in this uh, field um, uh, fall into really two categories, um, and each of which has problems. Um, the efforts like TOR, which is uh, an acronym for the onion router, um, is that uh, that's an efficient, uh, anonymous communication service uh, that has uh, serious security flaws. Um, and in particular, these flaws uh, manifest themselves when there's relatively few people on the, uh, on the network, uh, on the Tor network. And it's relatively easy to discover um, what your location is based on the relay of Tor that uh, you initially logged into, uh, et cetera. So you get efficiency, but not a lot of anonymity, which uh, can be quite dangerous. Um, if you want um, uh, anonymity, uh, typically in other networks such as MixNets, you sacrifice uh, uh, efficiency. So, um, uh, and uh, what happens is that it takes a long time to surf a website or to communicate with another person because the messages have to be routed through many uh, nodes that, and, and they need to get shuffled. Um, there's a lot of uh, encryption as well because obviously you want privacy and uh, because of this uh, back and forth and, and the shuffling um, latency of communication is uh, impacted. And it's hard to converse with another person if it takes uh, a minute to get a response back. And so these uh, systems are not used very much. Um, we're working on a, a system called Riffle, which uh, tries to provide uh, strong anonymity under what we call, or what is called the AnyTrust model. And so the AnyTrust model simply says that there's a bunch of nodes that you're going to use uh, to anonymize your communication, and all but one of them could be malicious, and your anonymity, anonymity should still be maintained. Okay. So that's a very strong model uh, for anonymity, and so you can increase that number. So you could uh, have three different nodes or three different servers in three different countries, and only if all three of those servers collude uh, will it be the case in Riffle that the user's anonymity would be compromised? Um, so that's a strong notion of anonymity that's similar to MixNets. But what we'd like is for, uh, uh, is for Riffle to be efficient as well. Okay. And uh, we've uh, uh, invented uh, a, a new uh, verifiable shuffle technique that is quite efficient that allows uh, Riffle to scale to um, uh, hundreds of thousands of users who are microblogging and uh, they can maintain their anonymity. Um, I will say that the, the one problem we haven't solved yet um, is the size of the files. So, so Riffle scales well with the number of users, provided uh, the text messages that they're exchanging are relatively small, which is, of course, exactly the case in microblogging. 
Mm -hmm. um, whereas in other uh, applications, uh, such as just uh, downloading uh, lots of software and lots of uh, data from a, from a web, um, Riffle certainly has uh, a ways to go in terms of providing uh, strong anonymity and efficiency. Great. So, so that was uh, computer security. Mm -hmm. And so one last project, uh, which I'll briefly describe, and uh, uh, that's at the intersection of uh, computer architecture and computer security. And that's about uh, building um, a secure processor that we call Sanctum. And um, uh, some of you um, who are listening, and uh, Laurie, I know you are uh, familiar with uh, uh, Intel's latest efforts in uh, secure processing. Uh, it, it's called SGX, mm -hmm. uh, Software Guard Extensions. And uh, it was built into uh, the Skylake processor that uh, has been available uh, for uh, purchase. Uh, it exists in laptops that you can buy these days. And uh, Intel SGX um, has a very ambitious uh, security goal which is um, it wants to protect um, individual applications that are running on the same processor from potentially a malicious operating system or other malicious applications. Okay. And so the idea here is that you don't have to trust um, your, uh, 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 sorry, uh, the users of the system uh, that are using the system along with you. Mm -hmm. So in particular in a cloud setting, um, if you want to use the cloud, you have no, uh, uh, excuse me, you have no freedom in choosing um, who is going to run on the cloud on that data center with you. Mm -hmm. And so you're uh, concerned with um, uh, the malice or uh, uh, benign aspect of the other applications that are running in the cloud with you. And um, in particular, it's possible that the cloud provider was compromised as well. Mm -hmm. In this case, you're concerned with the malicious operating system. Sure. Um, and so in processor architecture, one can develop and implement mechanisms that create what are called secure containers, sometimes called secure compartments, mm -hmm. that um, uh, uh, isolate every application from every other application, uh, which has been done before, but SGX takes it to a new level where uh, it's isolating uh, the operating system, which is uh, uh, capable of um, doing many tasks, including scheduling processes and uh, uh, making sure that processes get uh, enough resources uh, from the application it itself. And so it cannot impact the privacy or the integrity of the application, even though obviously the user and the application is depending on the operating system for lots of uh, uh, time sharing and resource sharing functionality. Um, and so Intel SGX um, uh, was announced uh, a couple of years ago, and as I mentioned, uh, it's, it's out there for people to buy. Uh, there's some issues uh, associated with the security of Intel SGX, um, and uh, we've uh, published a report um, uh, on um, the potential uh, vulnerabilities in SGX, mm -hmm. and as uh, um, uh, through that process of understanding SGX, we realized that uh, what we really should do is, uh, is build uh, a, a better architecture uh, that's better in a couple of different ways. Okay. Um, the first way is uh, we plug some of the security issues in SGX, in particular an issue that's associated with uh, the way you access memory from an application to tell the operating system something about the data that the application is actually working on and leak privacy of the user. So we uh, plug that security hole. And the second aspect of it is, uh, is more a business aspect uh, in the sense that 
Intel SGX is a, is, a, is a closed system. It's not an open source system. It's somewhat opaque, and it took us a lot of time and trouble to find enough details in it to, be even, to even uh, analyze the system for its security. And so what we'd like to do is build an open system. So we envision Sanctum as um, a processor that's uh, resistant to um, all classes of practical software attacks, but it's also an open source processor that uh, the community can vet and then can look at every aspect of the processor from the design to the implementation and figure out for themselves if they believe our claims of security. So can you give some examples of those practical software attacks? Um, uh, absolutely. So um, there's uh, many attacks that um, uh, can be accomplished in software. Um, at, at the top level, if you don't encrypt uh, data and you um, access um, memory, uh, another application that's sharing the computer uh, could potentially look at um, uh, the, uh, the data itself, and certainly the operating system could do that. So you'd have to do uh, encryption of data to protect against the operating system. Um, unfortunately, if that data is written to disk, then um, uh, the patterns of access uh, that are associated with moving the data from memory to disk get exposed uh, to the operating system, and that's certainly true in the case of SGX. And so you'd like to block against that type of attack as well. So um, uh, encryption would protect against the first type, but you need more sophisticated functionality to protect against uh, access pattern type of attacks. And that's one difference between um, Sanctum and, uh, and uh, processors like SGX. So in continuing on with the security kind of theme, uh, an issue in many supply chains is the authenticity of the product. You have been involved in research that addresses authentication issues. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Um, authentication of uh, the electronic supply chain uh, is a huge problem uh, that uh, the Department of Defense is extremely concerned about. And then there's the more uh, consumer-oriented problem of authenticity of products. And um, I've done some work in the past decade that um, uh, it, it has uh, impacted in, in, in some small way both of these um, uh, uh, these problems. Um, let me start with uh, authenticating uh, uh, electronic circuits or integrated circuits. Um, so, um, as I mentioned, the Department of Defense is concerned with uh, counterfeit parts being discovered in uh, fighter jets, and uh, this is because the supply chain has been compromised. And uh, what everyone would like to have is a way of uh, determining uh, the authenticity of any particular chip that they want to put into their system and uh, they'd like to know when this chip was produced. You know, is it a secondhand chip or uh, is it a chip that's never been used before in a commercial setting or in any part, um, et cetera. And uh, one way that you can do this in uh, uh, what I would think is a foolproof way is by looking at uh, uh, the silicon biometrics of a chip. So just like if you uh, can imagine that everyone's irises are unique and you can authenticate a person using irises, or his or her iris, um, you could imagine that uh, the three-dimensional structure of a particular silicon chip is distinct from every other chip, including the ones that were manufactured on the same wafer uh, in, in the same fabrication facility. And uh, we uh, invented a way of, uh, uh, of relatively easily discovering differences between one chip and another uh, by um, uh, using uh, minute changes in the performance or the delay uh, associated with um, uh, the different chips when they were 
uh, subject to uh, uh, different input conditions. So uh, this is an example. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, Intel has a range of processors and sells a range of processors in uh, most of the lines of processors that are used in laptops and servers is that the designs are the same, but some of the chips come out faster because of manufacturing variation, and some of them come out slower. And uh, Intel, in a smart company that it is, uh, sells the faster chips for more money than the, than the slower ones. Mm -hmm. And so you take this idea and you think about individual wires and gates on a particular chip and compare it with essentially the same wires and gates from a design standpoint that are on a different chip, then these uh, wires and gates have slightly different delays. Um, and so to cut a long story short, um, we invented a way of um, authenticating um, individual circuits by um, querying them uh, and timing their responses um, and essentially getting fingerprints uh, from every different chip to the point where uh, you could make a unique uh, or you could do a unique identification of, of every chip. Um, the nice thing, uh, to continue the analogy with the irises, is that chips are much larger than, um, uh, in terms of complexity, in terms of parts, than, than an iris. So it, it's like having many, many uh, eyes or many, many irises, and uh, we could obviously build chips uh, that have um, a, a, a hundred gates in them or a, or a million gates in them, and since each of these gates is potentially unique, uh, it's more or less a foolproof way of identifying a, a, a one chip from another. And so that was one part of it. Uh, very briefly, um, you could imagine um, uh, tagging consumer products, uh, including uh, things like Canon cameras, which uh, have actually been tagged uh, with uh, unique, uh, uniquely identifiable chips uh, that um, uh, essentially come from this phenomenon that I just talked about. And um, this particular chip that, uh, uh, that we built had an RF interface, so you could use a, uh, an Android phone uh, through what's called a near-field communication or an NFC interface uh, to query, uh, query this chip and get its uh, identity from it uh, and look it up on a server and figure out whether this particular chip is uh, what it claims to be. You know, it has the right serial number, the serial number hasn't been spoofed, etc. And uh, you could certainly have data uh, up in the server that says uh, this particular chip was attached to a Canon camera um, and this could be a Canon server that has this data, and you could have some um, uh, confidence as a consumer uh, that the Canon camera was authentic. Now, that's not foolproof by any means because someone could have peeled off this uh, chip, this RFID tag from a particular Canon camera very carefully and perhaps using a, a hairdryer, and I'm told that uh, this has been attempted, uh, uh, perhaps successfully, and, and, and paste, that, uh, paste that chip on a counterfeit camera. So this doesn't protect against that, to be clear, but it's a barrier. Yeah, right. yeah, no, so. definitely. No, that's fascinating. Great. Thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. This was a wonderful conversation. My pleasure. Thank you.